Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Hello everybody, welcome back Thank you for listening in we're recording this uh, right after the, or mostly right after the uh, Jazz's loss to the Miami Heat, which was incredibly frustrating. Uh, like, there, there's not really any other way to put that. Like, just, they were up by 19 points, and I was watching that part of the game. I kind of picked up after about two or three minutes in. Um, cause that's when I managed to get myself free, and then I watched them build up this enormous lead. They were, and they were starting, Jay Crowder was in the starting lineup again, and they were, they just got really hot. Everyone was playing really well. They were up 35-16. And then Miami hit a couple of buckets. I thought, you know, this is okay. They can play bad for a minute or two. And then the second quarter happened, and Miami just kept scoring, and the Jazz did nothing, and Miami kept scoring until they had a 36-35 lead. And then the Jazz go on and lose the game. Like, I don't know how they manage that. We have a 19-point lead. And then, like, and the Jazz fought. They did pretty well for the rest of the game. They kept with the Heat. They, you know, they didn't let the Heat build up any sort of lead. But then when it came down to it, the Jazz struggled, failed to execute. Dwayne Wade hits a couple of game-winning free throws. Uh, Donovan Mitchell misses his game-winning shot. That's how you blow a 19-point lead. Well, you blow a 19-point lead when you can't score for the first six minutes of the second quarter. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly right. Like, I, you still got to score the ball, guys. Like, yeah, yeah they, they scored 35 points in the first quarter. You know, you're not going to do that every quarter, but like, at least. Two points? A, a 20 to nothing run. How does that happen in NBA basketball? I mean, Utah's run wasn't... Like, they had, I think they had, like, an 11-0 run at one point. Like, that was something that got them around 35-16. They had, like, an 11-0 or 14-0 run, but just, like, 20-0? Yeah. And, and part of it was, like, so the starters, when the starters went out, or, like, when the first starter went out... Uh, Derek Favors came in for Jay Crowder, and then like a 30 seconds later, Royce came in for uh, camera who was R- Ricky or Donovan. But when the when the first starter went out, so when Jay went out, they were up 20 to five or 20 to six, something like that. They'd built up like a 15 point lead, and like the moment Derek Favors comes in, Miami goes on a mini run, and. Then the Jazz did pull off a bit of a run with Derek Favors in, so I'm not I'm not blaming Derek Favors on this, but he was also the center during most of that or a good chunk of that run. Um, so he he certainly wasn't helping in that regard, um, but really just the whole bench for the Jazz played poorly. Nobody seemed to be able to pull together anything else because Cal Corver and he came off the bench, and we'll we'll get to Cal Corver in a minute. Um. He was minus 18 on the night and was like one of six from the field. So he was, he played really poorly. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just about everyone did. We didn't even see Neto. Yeah, Neto was on the court briefly. I think I watched every like I, I missed some of the second half, or was at least distracted for some of the second half because uh, I had to write a recap on the game. I, I was writing the recap. Funny, I was I was telling Trey this. I was telling you this earlier. Uh, I started my recap in the fourth quarter, and sometimes, a lot of times, when I when I do that, I'll, and it's a close game. I'll write two leads and I'll kind of work on two different perspectives of the game. One where the team I'm covering wins, one where they lose. I just went with the recap of Jazz lose. Like, I didn't even bother typing one where they won. I just typed it where they lost. Just because it felt like the Jazz were just going to lose. It was just destined. The fact they blew that lead, everything just felt like they were going to lose. And I was right. Yeah, and I don't blame you for that because there was not any indication that they were going to win that game after that point. Like it was, they were just trading baskets with Miami. Yeah, they were. They were never able to regain control of a game where they had a commanding and completely dominating lead. And like the Jazz could teach a clinic on blowing big leads because they did this against the Warriors early this year. They did it against the Thunder in the playoffs. And probably half a dozen other times that I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. The Jazz seem to be the king of blowing 15-plus point leads. Which, for a team that's you know, branding itself as a top two or three team in the West, that's, uh, that doesn't cut it. There's there's higher standards now. And it's one of the reasons why Jazz fans are frustrated right now, and we've gone over this extensively, you know the Jazz are only 11 and 13, and are actually not too far out of the playoffs anyway. Like they got back to like they were 10th in the league now, mm-hmm. or they were 14th, sorry, and they were 10th as of like yesterday. And I'm trying to pull up the standings now to see where they're at. Probably like 10th or 11th. I don't know. Yeah, and it's we're past learning experiences. I mean, I I don't want to beat the dead that dead horse again feel bad for that horse at this point but yeah i mean we just can't keep talking about how they say that they know what they're supposed to do and not do it i mean this was just this was another bull of them losing the game for themselves like they were their own worst enemy again yeah so they're they're in 14th largely like they're wanting one game out of being like 11th so it's 14th, but not that bad. But like you mentioned learning experiences. This team was past learning experiences by the time they got into the offseason. You, you can't say learning experiences, and I know some people are also talking about schedule, and we've beat that horse to death too. It's like, yes, the schedule is tough, but the Jazz are supposed to be a better team than this. The Clippers, I think, were up there too in strength of schedule, I want to say. Yeah, I think they were, what, second? They were like top five. I, I'm trying to picture the list, but they were, I remember them being really high. They're second in the West. With who? Oh, like, like, can you name more than two players on the Clippers? Uh, Lou Williams. Uh, what's his face? Um, <laughs> Not off to a great that, start. That other guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have Lou Williams, what's his face, and that other guy, also known as Tobias Harris. And um, Yeah, know, that's the one. Yeah, it's, I figured that's what you're saying. That, that second one was, and uh, I want to say, uh, let's see, I can't remember either. Um, well, that guy who used to be in Boston, Avery Bradley, he's also on that team. 
But, like, mm-hmm. the Clippers are kind of a lot of what the Jazz are supposed to be. It's a, a bunch of misfits, you know, C-plus, B-level players. Not necessarily any stars. Granted, the Jazz are supposed to have two A-level players. But it, it's a bunch of C- and B-level guys who are 15-7. and seven. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you also look at the Nuggets. The Nuggets are also 15-7. and seven. I just realized the Golden State Warriors are fourth in the West. But Steph Curry's been out for a little bit, I believe. But yeah, well, I, but I mean, look at San Antonio too. I mean, Greg Popovich-led team is sitting in twelfth place right now. Yeah, he's he's also run out of star players that he can use, so that's not terribly surprising. He's running with Lamarcus Aldridge and uh, Demar Derozan, who are perhaps two of the worst players to. I guess, like, to be in this modern NBA, like, their styles are very much mid-2000s and kind of before. I mean, they'd be perennial all-star players. Of course, they kind of already are, but, like, they'd be top-of-the-league scorers and much more highly regarded players if they were playing back in, you know, 2004. But 2018, their games are kind of obsolete. Sure. But I mean, you know what? I mean, we got to look at the positives in this road trip because the Jazz went two and one. Uh, they beat Brooklyn. It was a little bit closer than it should have been, but we beat them. Uh, and then with Charlotte, a, it, Charlotte was one of those dominant performances that we've seen the Jazz do. And there are are some good takeaways to uh, take from this moving forward. I mean, you go two and one on a road trip. That's a win. Yeah, so that is definitely when, and I think in both of those games, Donovan Mitchell kind of had a bit of a resurgence, and I think Ricky Rubio recently has been playing well. We were kind of ripping into him because he wasn't being efficient on offense, wasn't doing any of the things he did last year, but it seems like, you know, in the in the last two weeks or so, he's also been playing, so i got to give him his props. I'm going to try and look up his game logs really quick, but... I think sure, yeah. he turned he turned the switch on. He's he's back to being aggressive. Yeah, and, and I think defensively he's still struggling, but I, I a lot of players are still struggling on defense at this point. Um I, I'm still thinking we could you know do with uh, some better options point at uh point guard at least in the long-term future. Um yeah, well, so in this last game, he scored 23 against the Heat. He had 13 in a decent outing in Charlotte. He was 0 of 9 against Brooklyn. Yeah. So not great. But then game before that, he had 27. Like, if you look at the since since that uh, horrible loss to Dallas, he's actually been okay uh, scoring in efficiency. He's into the 40s in field goal percentages and actually nearly a 40% three-point shooter. So... Recently, he's been doing well shooting, which I think has helped a lot. I mean, we've entering the Heat game, the Jazz had won three of their last four. So, like you said, there's some positives. You know, Rudy Gobert is still playing awesome every night. Donovan's getting a few more good games. Uh, he had the good win against Charlotte, where he had 30 points, shot effectively. And he's had a couple of other good games. Um, so maybe, <laughs> maybe I can get back on the optimism track. Well, the way I see it, like, and, and I, I think you've touched on this before. And I think just about every jazz fan realizes this too, is that um, 
the Jazz historically play really well against the really good teams, whether they're above 500 or otherwise, like your Golden State Warriors, that kind of thing. They usually give those guys a run for their money, and most of the time they win. So with schedule coming up, I would say we've got a pretty good uh, – I, I feel like optimism is a good way to go here with December on the way. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons for optimism, and I said we'd get back to this, uh, Kyle Korver. The Jazz go ahead and trade for Kyle Korver. They, you know, we've been talking about the Jazz making changes, and trades is one of the things we harped on a lot. Uh the Jazz do make a trade. wasn't quite the one I guess I was hoping for. I was hoping for a bit more of a shakeup. Um, they they sent off Alec Burks, which didn't surprise me. That that's one of the players they'd want to get rid of. It, it's felt like they've wanted to get rid of Alec Burks for about three seasons. But they sent him off a couple of second-rounders for Kyle Korver, who, in watching him, is surprisingly quick for a guy who's like 37. Mm-hmm. And he's still an elite three-point shooter. And it's crazy when you look at some of his shots. So many of his shots are off the dribble, and they look really off-balanced. But he's able to hit them. He, he, he doesn't have to just spot up and shoot. He's not like Joe Ingles, where Joe Ingles doesn't really hit you know, step-backs or sidesteps or fadeaways. He's a spot-up-and-catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. But yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I, it wasn't. It wasn't the trade. I mean, I really didn't know what I would envision as far as a trade scenario. But um, getting someone like Kyle Korver with his age, one, it's weird to see a guy who played for us come back. That like usually never happens. I don't. I don't know how many times that's happened for any team, but it does fill that void. I mean, the, the glaring problem was that the jazz were third best in getting open looks on three. And we were what uh, second to third to last in converting on them. So it did feel, fill that need in terms of that shooting for sure. But, and it did free up a lot of um, not a lot, but it freed up a good amount of money uh, getting rid of AB because we didn't have to pay him what? 9 million. I think. Yeah, somewhere around nine to ten million. He's saying like a forty million dollar contract over four years, so right and somewhere in so that range. Only three million is guaranteed for Corver for the remainder of the season, and that comes from Cleveland. Um, so the Jazz don't have to pay him that. Um, but I almost feel like if the Jazz are kind of targeting someone for free agency, or if there's another trade down the road. Yeah, it's possible they're looking to just kind of wait out the rest of the season. I'd actually be kind of fine if they're looking for free agency. Because, um, you know, I feel like I've come across in these podcasts like the Jazz need a trade now, a trade now. They have to trade for something. They have to do something this season, which I'd certainly like them to make smart moves. Maybe something like this for Kyle Korver, although you know, with Korver being 37, he's definitely not a long-term option. I'd like mm-hmm. to see the Jazz go for someone who could be a little more long-term. But if they feel like the best option will be in free agency, they know they can pick up some guys there, I am okay with that. But I think eventually they are going to have to make some moves they don't want to make. I mentioned this last time, I feel like Dennis Lindsay is very conservative um, with, with what he does, and he may not want to make the moves that he might have to to make the jump from you know what this team was last year a kind of second-tier um, 
playoff team, you know, they want to make the jump from second tier to the first tier, they're going to have to make moves. Things we've talked about. They're probably going to have to move Derek Favors or Ricky Rubio and bring in other stars. Um, so it's going to come down to whether or not Dennis Lindsay thinks he can get that in a trade. You know, we brought up Bradley Beal last time. Obviously, that's not the only option in the world. Um, or maybe he can think of somebody in free agency. We'll see. that It's going to be really interesting what the Jazz decide to do in terms of player movement, either during the season or if they're just going to kind of hang on, weather this storm, and then you know, look for something in free agency or the draft. Sure. I mean, I'm just even going through the list of top free agents coming up. I mean, Kevin Durant's your headliner. You got Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving, Jimmy Butler. I'm pretty sure he's going to stay in Philadelphia. Uh, pretty sure Kyrie will stay in Boston, too. Uh, Clay Thompson's the next one. I'm pretty sure he's going to be a warrior for life. Uh, Kemba Walker, he's going to be worth way too much to go for. DeMarcus Cousins, never going to play in Utah. Never. Kristaps <laughs> uh, Brzingis, it really depends on how severe that injury he's a, was. He's, like, he's, we, he's a restricted free agent, so. Restricted, okay. Um, and then Tobias Harris, he's coming up. Uh, Chris Middleton, Nikola Mirtich. Uh, then we get into the bigs territory. Like, not much to look at. Yeah, so the last three you brought up, uh, Tobias Harris, Chris Middleton, and uh, Miritich. Those are really the three that I think the Jazz will have their eyes on. If they can get Harris or Middleton, I think that would be a pretty good um, a pretty good score because both of those guys could bring something the Jazz, you know, could really use. They're both uh, potential volume scorers, um, guys that could be a number two option, take a lot of pressure off of Donovan Mitchell. And, I mean, Tobias Harris especially, he'd fill in a replacement for uh, favors, is a stretch for, you know, pretty much does everything we would like in a in a stretch for all the things we've been talking about wanting to have and that we haven't really had, except for when Jay Crowder's in. Uh, Middleton gives you another wing score, which is awesome. You know, we bring up Bradley Beal, one of the things we liked him is because he's a wing scorer, can put the ball in the bucket. Middleton does those same things. Um, and Miritich, I think, is just kind of a little bit of an older Tobias Harris um, that I'm a little less confident on, um, but still obviously a good option. So Sure. I mean, and, and Ricky's coming up on his – I mean, this is a contract year for him. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what we do with that too. Yeah, we might have to look at the market for point guards. I think – Kemba Walker is obviously kind of the, the A-lister target for the Jazz. I think everybody really knows they're not really going to be getting Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, you know, Jimmy Butler, whoever, whoever else was on that list. Um, it's, you know, Kemba Walker is really the first player you think, maybe, maybe the Jazz have a chance. But like I said, we'd have to hand out a crap ton of money for a guy who's going to be 30 pretty soon. And while he is a spectacular scorer, um, again, he's going to be 30, and he's a guy who, at six foot, he depends a lot on his agility, speed. And I know he's got really good handles, but that's only going to take you so far when you're six foot. you got to be able to blow by guys with your speed and quickness, and he's not going to have that for much longer. Well, then not only that, I mean... I don't know if he really plays in that strict of a system. I mean, Quinn Snyder runs something like a Greg Popovich system. It's like you play in a system. If you're a system player, you're going to thrive. 
Otherwise, you're probably not going to. Plus, I, I really think Michael Jordan's going to throw everything he freaking can at Kemba Walker in terms of money. Yeah, and I think... Is Kemba going to be available for some sort of Supermax? I feel like he is. Probably. Um, I mean, he's making $12 million this year. Yeah, he's in for a big payday. And granted, there is, I don't think there's a player on earth that is worth those Supermax contracts. That's just ridiculous. Uh, except Kevin Durant. Probably. He's still one of the best players in the world, man. Yeah, I, like, I say probably, but the problem is then you can't fit five guys around him. Sure. You can, uh, we I, we just don't have the money to take him either. Like Kevin Durant ever playing in a Jazz jersey, he would have to agree to a massive pay cut. Yeah, and he has too much of an ego to do that. Yeah. Though he, he might think, oh, I'm going to rescue this Jazz franchise. He's he's vain enough to kind of, to kind of do that. It's just, I don't know. There's, there's something about Kevin Durant I'm not huge on. So. That's fair. Uh, yeah. So kind of on the subject of trades, uh, there's one player that I'm really eyeing right now in terms of the Jazz potentially moving. Because I mentioned earlier that I thought Alec Burks, the, the Jazz have been trying to move him for years because he's just seemed to be completely out of Utah's plans. He was injured, but even when he was not injured – he could never really break into the rotation. Quinn Snyder never really liked him. And the moment he missed back-to-back bus buckets, he got pulled. And, you know, he was also never really spectacular on defense, so that never helped anyway. Um, and so it felt like he was just not part of what Utah was wanting to do. And so when he got traded, it was like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, he was never Quinn Snyder's favorite. He's not like Shelvin Mack or Ricky Rubio or Royce O'Neal or any of these guys that, you know, Quinn Snyder's had a hard-on for. And another guy who fits very well into that Alec Burks, you know, you know, that mold kind of in terms of how his career has gone has been Dante Exum. You know, he's he's never really been able to break the rotation, except for like he had one year where he was able to start quite a bit, but that was like his, I think that was his rookie year, but he was fifth overall pick. And now after a couple of injuries and even after some very good performances late last year when he came back, Quinn Snyder has just never really trusted Dante Exum at all. He, he's never given him much of a chance. And, and granted, Dante Exum has not really capitalized well on the chances he's had. I've, I've been standing up for Dante Exum for years, and now I'm kind of having to back off on that because Dante Exum is not making me look good in that regard. But I, I just think with the way that Quinn Snyder doesn't really trust Dante Exum, and now... I mean, with Kyle Korver coming in and with Ron Neto coming back, Dante Exum did not play against Charlotte, and he played two minutes against the Heat. I think he has been completely forced out of the rotation. Well, yeah, but, I mean, to say that he hasn't been given the chances, I, I don't know if I really agree with that. I mean, he's been given plenty of chances. The last time he was given a chance was, I think it was Brooklyn, and he played himself off the floor. I mean, if you're, if you're not going to play well, I mean, I think he turned it over like three times in a row. Like, if you're going to turn it over three times in a row, get the hell off the court. <laughs> I would have done the same thing. I mean, you got to show that you want to, one, that you deserve the minutes that you're given, and then you got to show that you deserve more of them. I don't think Dante's really done that so far. Well, I think the biggest thing is just it's it's a prolonged chance. And I agree he's played terrible on plenty of occasions. But I think even last year, last year he had way more good stretches than he did bad stretches. 
And for a guy who's had like 80 combined games in his career, or maybe 100, and had a lot of them shortened by injury, and for a guy who already shows a lot of potential and a lot of production on one side of the court, you know, he's a really good defender, you, you give yeah. the guy some leeway. I mean, look at Ricky Rubio this season. He's played himself, you know, would have played himself off the court a lot, except Quinn keeps him in, even after Rubio turns it over three possessions in a row. So, uh, you know, Dante Exum has not been deprived of all chances. I, I would never say that, given he started a lot in his rookie year. And he's had his chances this year. He's had games where he's played. I think he averaged like 15 to 18 minutes for the first so many games of the year. But he's never really felt at home in the rotation. And Quinn Snyder's always kind of pulled him, you know, the moment, you know, he'll turn it over a couple of times, a bad minute or two, and he's gone for most of the rest of the game. And I think for a guy like Dante Exum, he's going to need minutes. He's going to need development time. He's only, what, 22 or something like that? Mm-hmm. So I, I think if for the Jazz, the biggest frustrating thing about this, perhaps more frustrating than him not living up to the to the potential that I was hoping he would be able to live up to, um, the frustrating thing is that he's not getting the chances in the minutes and getting pushed out of the rotation. Is It's the fact that the Jazz paid him like he was going to be a sixth man. They paid him what thirty three million this off season, over three years. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, so they paid him like, look, you are a part of our future. We will be playing you. You're gonna get minutes, and we're. They said we're gonna stick with you. We're gonna stick with you, and you know, through thick and thin, thirty three million big ones. And they've not done that. Quinn Snyder has been picky with him. It was just like Alec Burks. They gave Alec Burks a four year, forty million dollar contract. And they didn't really capitalize on that either by developing him. You know, Ty Corbin seemed to hate Alec Burks, except for like one year when he was the sixth man, yet he wouldn't start Alec Burks. So he kind of hurt him there. So I feel like the only thing to do with Alec, or to do with Dante Exa now is either go ahead and just trade him, because obviously Quinn Snyder doesn't want him in the rotation anymore. You know, he's been slowly phasing him out over the last couple of weeks, and now he's completely gone with Cal Corver coming in. And maybe that's justified. You know, I'm not going to defend Don Tex nearly as much as I was even like a week or two ago. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not that stubborn. But if you're not going to capitalize on a guy you're paying $33 million to, then maybe it's time to move on from him. Let's get him off the roster, get something in return. You know, we got... Kyle Korver out of Alec Burks. Maybe we can get, you know, pair. You're gonna have to pair X with somebody else because he's not worth much um, on the trade market. Well, not as player value, but monetarily, I mean, it's kind of like you've uh, you've you've created a problem in that sense because I don't think a lot of people are gonna be able to sacrifice 33 million to pick him up. Yeah, that's the thing. You have his contract makes him harder to trade. Hmm. If this and he would be a lot, and he'd be a lot more valuable if he would just learn how to shoot the damn ball. I mean, he's a spot up shooter at three at best, yeah. but he thrives at uh, driving to the rim. Otherwise, I mean, he's useless besides driving to the rim and playing defense. Yeah, if if you if he could become a thirty four percent three point shooter, stick him a shooting guard. He's an excellent three and D. Mm-hmm. 
and that's maybe what the Jazz have to sell somebody on, along with sending them. You'd probably have to send them a, you know, either a good player or some cap space, or you know, you know, maybe a protected first round pick, just something with Dante Exum if we're going to get anything in value of value in return. And at this point, I think the Jazz need to focus on trying to get player, you know, different players like they got Kyle Korver. Talk about getting maybe an Otto Porter. Something like that. Um, so, but th- that, that's kind of my thoughts on on Dante Exum, I guess, in this situation, is that the Jazz seem to have moved on from him. It, it feels like they're cutting their losses. And you know, I, I'm not exactly an insider here, and there's probably more to this than, than I'm putting on, but I, I get the same feeling about Dante Exum now as I did about Alec Burks the last two years. It's that the franchise does not value him, um, and that they're going to try and move on from him the first chance they get. Which again, it's just super confusing, because in the off season they over, they they paid him, and you know so many people and I wasn't in this camp at the time, but so many people thought they were overpaying Dante Exum. And and then we get twenty games into the season. And he's already out of the rotation. That it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's more or less maybe get Corver acclimated, but even still, I mean, Corver's been doing his thing for years. He he knows what his job is on any team he goes to. It's I'm going to shoot threes. <laughs> yeah, and obviously, you know, you got to try and get him in there, but like. Does do you have to push Dante Exum out of the rotation to do that? I mean, kind of. I mean, look at Raul Neto. Raul Raul Neto has been pushing not just pace, but he's been playing harder. He has a shot, whether it's uh, behind the arc, inside of the arc. I mean, he's a better passer. He makes better decisions. Now, that's not to say that he like is extremely leaps and bounds better than Dante Exum, but. He is making a point to show Coach Snyder, like, I am deserving of the minutes you are giving me, whereas Dante isn't. Dante is spotty at best. Yeah, and I think Neto just fits a lot better into Snyder's system, whereas Exum does not. Because, yeah, Exum has two things he does. He drives to the basket and he plays defense. Um, Neto is not really, like you said, leaps and bounds better at anything instead of being like an, you know, uh, high-level driver and defensive player, and then terrible at everything else, he's just kind of okay at everything. Um, yeah, I mean, he's our J.J. Barea. And I hate comparing him because I hate J.J. Barea, but, like, they're kind of the same build. Um, they play, like, kind of the same style. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it just, that's just what I, that's what I f- get from Neto. And that's the thing. is that Neto, he's a career backup point guard. And Dante mm-hmm. Exum is, you know, he's starting to slip this this potential. Like he's he's a potential All Star point guard, but that's also contingent on him ever having an offensive game, which seems less and less likely with every passing day. So, I mean, I mean, again, if if you're thinking that, and if the Jazz seem to have given up on him, they they just needed to, to let him go. It's kind of like with Derek Favors, you know, Derek Favors, his career in Utah, you can see the writing on the wall. You can just see how you know Derek Favors has had an excellent run here, and everybody loves him. There's not a person in 
in any jazz fan who hates Derek Favors, and if there is, I need to have a talk with them. <laughs> but everyone can also see, at least everyone who doesn't have their head up their butt, knows that Derek Favors is not going to fit long-term with this Utah Jazz. And so it's better for both sides if they part ways. It's a business decision. Both are better off. Favors would be better off starting as a five for well, whoever. Just you know, go down the list of teams that need a good starting center. Mm-hmm. And I think Alec Burks was it was a very similar thing. He's going to Cleveland. He's going to get a shot to prove himself on a terrible team. He's going to get a chance to put up some stats. Maybe get another good contract. Maybe become a solid player. You know, the mm-hmm. thing the thing he couldn't do in Utah. And maybe Dante Exum's the same way. Maybe he needs to go somewhere. Be given you know, maybe go to a terrible team. I don't know, maybe Phoenix or something, where. He's got a little more wiggle room to make those mistakes because when we are on a team, Phoenix has like four wins this year. When you're on a team like that, turning it over two or three times in like a four-minute span, yeah, that's what everyone's doing on a team like that. So he's going to get some wiggle room to make those mistakes and maybe grow and maybe become a good player. And the Jazz, maybe they can get somebody good in, in return. Maybe they can pick up Trevor Ariza somehow from the Suns. So, I mean, everybody would benefit there, both players, management, coaches, teams, at every level. Something like that would be awesome. Um, but Dennis Lindsay might be hesitant to pull the trigger on that. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't really know what to think anymore. I mean, because we were saying that they needed to make some kind of shakeup um, and <laughs> saying we you know we were talking about getting Bradley Beal type player, Otto Porter Jr. type player, and all of a sudden he gets Corver for Alec Burks and two uh second round second round draft picks. I mean I like I said, I don't understand I, I can't even begin to understand the job of general manager and any of that that goes into it. So I'm not gonna pretend like I have a better answer for something like this. But I mean if anything if there's another trade down the road in this season or even in the postseason, I think you give yourself uh, a good chance at picking someone up a good return. If you group uh, favors and uh, Exum in a group deal. Yeah. And, and again, I obviously don't want to try and take Dennis Lindsay's job because I would suck at it. Yeah. Um, Cause I'd try and pull off trade every year and that's, you know, being, being conservative is often a good option. And it's worked for Dennis Lindsay, being patient. Uh, you, you can't have knee-jerk reaction trades. And and I, I believe in Dennis Lindsay, and I trust Dennis Lindsay. So hopefully he does make good option. Hopefully he's understanding that, you know, you know I'll talk about all the things we said that, about Derek Favors and Dante Exum. And hopefully he's got a plan. If he's got a plan, you know, two thumbs, two thumbs up, Denzy. Denzy. There we go. I can talk. There you go, Denzy. English is hard for me, but uh, you know <laughs> he can go forward with his plan as long as he's got things accounted for. The, the part of my frustration, as I've said, is that things don't seem to make sense, and it feels like the Jazz just aren't trying to do anything when there are obvious problems. But again, the Jazz never say anything about player moves and about player personnel. They're so tight-lipped, it's ridiculous. So maybe there is a lot of a lot of plans laid forth which as long as they work out or at least they're well-thought-out decisions, obviously not all well-thought-out decisions work out, but if they've got a plan, 
then well he's he has to have a plan i mean you can't just be thinking here in the now i mean yeah. the 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 team the way it is now there's only so much time left for the players and the personnel we have as it is i mean joe ingles is 31 i mean he may be able to play into his 40s who knows um we only have on contract on paper. We have favors for another two. Rudy, we have for another three. Donovan, we have potentially lifetime player, but that all depends on the personnel that Dennis Lindsay is going to put around him and keep with him and whatever. I mean, you have to have long term goals in mind. Yeah, and again, it comes down to I. I do think that the Jazz should look to trade if they're trying to. I mean, make a push for the playoffs this year and actually doing something in the playoffs, they need to look to trade. Because this group, as it is now, might be lucky to get into the playoffs. Um, I think they're going to make a late-season push because the schedule will get easier and that will have an impact. But if if this team's going to do anything in the playoffs, the way they've played this year, there are glaring flaws, deadly flaws, fatal flaws. They need to make some changes. And... Uh, honestly, I think the way things are set up, trading might end up being the best option because I free agency kind of scares me. And we bring up Tobias Harris. He might want to stay with the Clippers, who are 15-7, and seven, mind you, right now. He's kind of a centerpiece in that franchise. And they can pay him just as much as Utah can, as far as I'm aware. Probably more. Chris Middleton with the Bucks. The Bucks are, what, number two in the East right now? Top, you know, One of the top teams in the East. So mm-hmm. he has no reason to move on from there. So that they're also fifteen and seven, uh, a few games behind the Raptors. So he might not want to leave um, a good team like that. And who's the other one? Miritich. I mean, New mm-hmm. Orleans. I don't know. That might be a more realistic option, but that's also like the fourth best option in free agency the Jazz could possibly get if we're including Kemba Walker in the discussion. So are we willing to risk maybe getting an Otto Porter or a Bradley Beal or somebody? There's plenty of more names out there I'm pretty sure the Jazz could go for because I wasn't even thinking Kyle Korver and they went up and got him. And I'm hearing distant rumors of Kevin Love, but I don't think there's anything substantial to that. But are you going to risk potentially getting a solid player, whoever it may be, a stretch four, a wing, a new point guard, whatever, are you going to risk that on the promise of maybe getting Nikola Miritich or having an outside shot at Tobias Harris, Chris Middleton, or Kemba Walker? I mean, we, we talk about risks, but that seems like an excessive risk. Because, um, I mean, getting one of those players in general would be the kind of risk we're talking about, where maybe they don't fit, and it's a, wa- a giant waste of money. But it's a risk that we'd even get them. And if we strike out again, would we be able to re-sign Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell? So. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, uh, because even if the, the – who do you move to point guard? I mean, you could put Donovan in as, in as the point or, you know, uh, Neto in as the point. But we got we can't forget that – you know, we could potentially 
uh, as much as hit or miss as Ricky Rubio has been this season, he's still our point guard. Yeah, and you got to you still have to fill that void too if he leaves. So uh, you mentioned moving Mitchell to the point guard. I'm becoming more and more curious about the idea of having Mitchell as the point guard of the future. Now the the hang up for me there is Mitchell is not a point guard. Uh, he can pass, but that does not a point guard make. Mm-hmm. Um, at best, he would kind of be. Uh, this isn't the best comparison, but he'd kind of be a Russell Westbrook in that. Sure, he might be able to rack up some assist numbers, but that doesn't make him a good passer. Nor does it mean he's making everybody better playing at a point guard. You know, you want to look at a guy who's making guys better as a point guard, see Chris Paul. Um, and you could also kind of throw LeBron James in there. Um, but I do think it's possible. I think Mitchell can learn to be a point guard, and I think with his height, um, he's not too short to play shooting guard, but he's really pushing it. And I think he would be really good as a point guard in the fact that he can – he can run the pick and roll pretty well, and with the Jazz system, it's not terribly dependent on having a maestro-style point guard. I think Mitchell could definitely make it work. So, you know, if you moved him to point guard and then maybe went with, I don't know, some shooting guard, maybe if it were this season, we'd have maybe Kyle Korver, or probably Royce O'Neal at shooting guard, Joe Ingles, Jay Crowder, Rudy Gobert. I mean, that's a that's an intriguing starting five. And I mean, Donovan Mitchell actually started a point guard in the playoffs, did he not? I th- I think that's right. Uh, when Ricky was out, yeah. Yeah, so Ricky was out, so he's he's got experience doing that. Granted, we didn't do super well then, but it's an interesting thought where the Jazz go with Donovan at point guard, and maybe you know if they brought in Bradley Beal as an example, or Chris Middleton, or, you know, pick your starting wing, or Clay Thompson and whoever. Um, that's what the lineup would look like. You'd have Mitchell at point guard, you know, and the whoever the wing is at the two, Joe Mingles at the three, and then, you know, your four and your five. So, I mean, it's a very realistic option that if the Jazz decide to move on from Ricky Rubio, which is the kind of move I feel like they'd have to make if they're going to make that push for a, a championship. We could very well see uh, Donovan Mitchell moving to point guard. Yeah, I mean, it would just be another um, evolution for him. Yeah, it would be. It's one that I think he can make. It's like I said, he's he can pass. He averages like three or four assists a game. And... Again, he's not going to be that, that maestro, but I don't think the Jazz necessarily need that. And, and, I mean, again, something I've brought up multiple times, when you look at the point guard position in Snyder's offense, it hasn't. there's a level of importance when it comes to scoring. Because when Ricky Rubio scores well, and when George Hill scored well, and even before that, Shelvin Mack and Trey Burke and guys like that, when they scored and were efficient scorers, the Jazz won. It wasn't necessarily about them getting, you know, 10 assists in a game or not having turnovers or anything like that. It was when the point guard scored, they played the the Jazz played well and they won a a vast majority of their games. So if Donovan's playing that role as point guard and scorer, I think he can have a definite impact for the Jazz. A definite positive impact. 
Sure. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we've talked about it before. the The system that he runs is not predicated on the point guard being your traditional point guard. It's all by committee. Yeah, and again, you got Joe Ingles. You know, being there, he's a secondary point guard. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you when you move in lineups, like say you bring in Ron Neto or whoever backup point guard, maybe have him come in for. You know, just you know, there's there's a there's a bunch of different things that can cover up the fact that Donovan Mitchell is not a point guard and not a traditional point guard, or you know, kind of bridge the gap between him not being a point guard and learning to be one. Because I do think he become you look at guys like Damian Lillard and uh, you know, that's now that's somehow the only name I can come up with at point guard, other than like Steph Curry and John Wall, but he can become that. 25 point per game point guard and you know average five or six assists so I think he can become that he'd need a little bit to learn that and again I I think Snyder's system can make up for that Um, but we're running a little long we're we're starting to beat this horse a little bit too dead Um, we're doing that a lot lately We, we keep running over the same topics um, <laughs> well, I mean, what, what else is there to really talk about, man? I mean, like, there, we, can't, we can't celebrate these like uproarious victories and these great like uh, these great uh, advancements in who the Jazz are. I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, we can't really like. It's not like we can say, "Oh, did you see that kid on the sideline freaking out and giving Jay Crowder a high five? I mean, we can't make a topic about that. It happened. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot less to talk about when your team sucks. Um, and, and... I wouldn't go so far as like they suck. I mean, they're still <laughs> they're still they're still doing what they can. I mean, obviously, there's still uh, some growing pains this season. I mean, it happens to every team. I mean, look at what's happening with Houston. Look what's happening with San Antonio. It's nothing. Uh, I mean, us. It is an isolated issue because we're only talking about them. And of course, we we care, so we want to see them do well. But at the same time, like it is, I don't know. I mean, you look at the Western Conference; we're not as bad as the Suns, so I can't say that we suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it it sucks in the way that we're not we're not either the Suns, who are obviously tanking and hoping for yet another top pick, uh, top you know top five fish pick. Um, we're we're in that where we felt like we were supposed to be really good and we we aren't, which that sucks more than being a Suns fan because the Suns can at least look forward to the fact that they have DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker and probably Zion Williams. Zion is Zion Williams or I can't remember if the, or well, like Williamson. I I suddenly can't remember. Um, we all know who I'm talking about though. <laughs> that kid who can jump over the backboard. Uh. Um. But yeah. We'll see how this goes. Um, I think Kyle Korver is going to fit in pretty well, and I think there are more pauses, like, like like we've already talked about. They won two games in a row, fought in this game, even though they completely blew a lead. So I think things are a little bit better. They're not losing by 30 points or 50 points. They might end up doing that because December is going to be really bad. Mm-hmm. But so long as they're able to – because like we said earlier, I can stand losses. I can't stand losses where you can see problems, see systematic problems, and nothing's being done. 
which is why I've been so trade-happy these last few weeks. We're seeing systematic problems, and I want to see them fixed, which I'm a little impatient in that regard, but if if we can fix these systematic things, because, like, tonight it felt like a systematic thing where we just forgot to play basketball and then things just went to crap. You know, so... We'll see how it goes. Uh, that'll pretty much do it for us before we get too much on rambling here. I've, I've already rambled way too much. but um, Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week now that we're actually on our podcast schedule again. We'll have this published pretty quickly. So thank you so much. See you later. <laughs>